Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Two federal liberal ministers are in hot water after it was revealed that they awarded government contracts to a firm with family ties to a senior staffer. Ahmed Hussein and Marcy Ian awarded over $100,000 to a Toronto-based public relations firm specializing in promoting the restaurant and food services industry. As Canada deals with an unprecedented birth rate crisis, new reports from a Canadian think tank show the country needs to look at some of the policies being tried in European nations to offer a path forward. And as some voices attempt to vilify private health care options, a new report shows that long surgery lineups could shrink if governments allowed private health care practices to compete in Canada. Hello Canada, it's Monday, January 23rd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Another contract scandal has surfaced for the Trudeau Liberal government. Two federal ministers are being accused of handing out government contracts to a consulting firm with family ties to a senior Liberal staffer. Last week, it was revealed that much more media a public relations firm specializing in promoting restaurants and food services, received over $93,000 from Housing Minister Ahmed Hussein's constituency office. Now, the director of Much More Media, Hiba Tariq, is the sister of Tia Tariq, and Tia has held several senior staffer roles in the Trudeau government over the last six years, including working in Hussein's office as his director of policy. Further, the Minister of Women and Gender Equality, Marcy Yen, gave the firm $10,000 in constituency contracts. Hussein's office told Global News that the minister was aware of the family connection between Hiba and Tariq, and that the arrangement was cleared by the federal ethics watchdog. Ian's office said their minister was not privy to any existing personal relationships between staff of much more media and the office of Minister Hussein. Andrew, interesting story here. You can get lost in a lot of the technical details, but I, I think one of my main questions is a constituency office giving out contracts for restaurant and food promotion firm staff, and yet these are ministries that have nothing to do with that line of work. What, what's really happening here? Yeah, we've seen this with media training, which is uh, an area where you can understand there may be a small pool of people, but it's at least understandably relevant to the work of politicians. With this, I, I'm still not entirely clear from reading up on this what the services were and, and why Minister Ian's office needed them. She's a minister of women and gender equality. Maybe they were promoting women-owned food businesses. Who knows? But it does seem oddly suspect that this company that is in a very niche field seems to be doing the rounds through the federal cabinet. Yeah, certainly. Do we have a broader problem here? Because you identified the media training contract issue. We've got the broader outsourcing issues when it comes to We Charity, McKinsey and Company. There's going to be a parliamentary inquiry into that. 
does the Trudeau liberal government just have a problem with not making good judgment calls when it comes to all of these contracts? Well, I think there's a, a media problem here and that the media generally gives them a pass on some of these things. And that's not to say the media hasn't kept up the pressure on the bigger things like the We Charity scandal and the SNC-Lavalin scandal. But when the government has already realized it can get a pass on the big things, the ostensibly smaller things are a lot easier for them to get over. So something like this comes up on its own. It's a very significant thing. Remember, the Mike Duffy scandal was over just like about 90000 dollars as far as the part that influenced Stephen Harper's office. But what's happening here is that the liberals have already realized they don't need to care. They don't actually need to worry about these ethical breaches because Canadians have given them a pass time and time again. I find it interesting that the minister's office says it was cleared by the federal ethics watchdog. I mean, the fact they had to defer it to the watchdog makes it clear that they did think, eh, okay, maybe this violates the spirit of the law. Let's just check to see whether it violates the letter of the law. Hmm, not a good look. Yeah, you're right. It's when, you, when you're worried about skating close to that line, maybe you should just go as far away from the line as possible. New reports from a Canadian think tank suggest Canada needs to do more to address its declining birth rate, and perhaps the answer lies in policies being tried in Europe. Speaking to True North, Cardis senior fellow Andrea Morozek said the first step should be to, quote, stop pushing the myth that women always want to have fewer kids or to prevent pregnancy, unquote. When asked what policies Canada could implement to incentivize women to have children, Morozek said it's really a cultural shift we need. She said young Canadians need to hear messages of empowerment and competence in parenting rather than more warnings about the expense or difficulty of parenting. Cardis says that Canada's plan to implement $10 a day childcare doesn't come with much evidence that it might also increase the birth rate. Instead, Cardis says Canada should perhaps look to countries like Hungary, Poland, France, and Finland, which have seen dramatic expansions in pro-birth policies. Cardis Program Director Peter John Mitchell points to those governments in Europe trying to mitigate the effects of low fertility by offering cash benefits, allowances, loans, and extended parental leave as possible policy levers here. Cardis offers several recommendations that the Government of Canada could also adopt, such as lowering taxes for families with children, maintaining neutrality towards private forms of childcare, According to Statistics Canada, Canada's birth rate hit a record low in 2020 and has been on the decline actually since 2009. It decreased from 1.47 children per woman in 2019 to a record low of 1.40 children per woman in 2020. Anthony, is this actually the role of government to start manipulating or incentivizing these numbers one way or another? Or is that kind of skirting close to playing God? Yeah, that's an interesting question, because on the flip side, we know China's one-child policy is considered a, a horrible thing. So what does it mean when you want to do the flip side and you want to get yourself well above a 1.4 or 1.8 or what have you and push for a, a growth rate of two or, or, or greater than two, of course, to keep your population growing? I, I have concerns about general policy approaches to this. I think 
the Cardis uh, sentiment that a cultural shift is needed is a really positive one. Uh, but the idea that we just need to give people more money, more funding catchments, I don't know. I'm always in support of lowering taxes, uh, but I am concerned. They do also write in the report that the federal liberal government's Canada Child Benefit Program has been a positive one because it gives sizable cash payments to parents. I've previously written about my concerns about how that just acclimatizes middle class folks to getting a monthly stipend from the government. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and I think that if government is putting policies in place under the current system that are disincentivizing, then perhaps rolling back some of those or undoing those is there. I, I still have questions about affirmative policies, but I also think it's important to note here that the federal government right now would not hesitate to say that it thinks increasing immigration numbers is a very important tool of Canada for the vitality and population. In if you look at it through that vein, I don't actually think it's all that controversial to talk about birth rate as well. No, it's a very good point. I mean, I referenced China's one-child policy, and we are finding that moving forward in the decades ahead, the birth rate for other countries that we thought would see us face some major uh, population crisis where we're just growing by leaps and bounds, global population growth is actually slowing. So that's going to have effects in terms of Canada's immigration numbers. Right now, we're talking about ballooning the numbers to 500,000 persons per year. And look, there's billions of people out there. I'm sure we can hit that target, but it, it will become a different calculus in the years ahead. Should Canada consider even more private healthcare options as the country's hospitals deal with long wait lists and many Canadians struggle to find a family doctor? A new report from the Montreal Economic Institute says that long surgery lineups would shrink if governments allowed private healthcare practices to compete in Canada. The report says allowing Canadians to buy duplicate healthcare insurance, as they label it, would connect Canadians to treatment options not everyone can currently afford. Duplicate insurance is a policy that provides coverage for both the public and private sector. According to the report's author, Maria Lily Shaw, duplicate healthcare insurance would help make private care accessible to the middle class. And this would take people out of the long lineups for treatment. Shaw writes, quote, it's no secret our healthcare system isn't cutting it. The healthcare system must be restructured to introduce competition. Andrew, we're seeing the conversation head in this direction in a couple different parts of Canada. The Ontario Doug Ford government is really pushing forward to, to bring certain surgeries out of the government-controlled hospital setting, allow them to go to more private clinic settings. It'll still be a one-payer system, meaning OHIP will pay for it, Already, though, some people speak as if the sky is falling with that option. Yeah, right now you have a huge approach to this that is driven by ideology. People that view any injection of privatization, any injection of choice as being heretical without actually looking at the evidence. The whole point of the universal system in Canada was not meant to be lowering the level so that everyone has equally bad care. It was making sure that there was a minimum standard that no matter where you were in the country, you couldn't drop below. If we can offer even alternatives in some ways that are better than that, we should be welcoming that. Absolutely. And I also wonder when people say, heaven forbid, we tinker with this perfect healthcare system of ours. What are you talking about? The past few years have really exposed the myth of the great Canadian healthcare system. Uh, there was a lot of sense that ideology played a role in why Florida did not embrace lockdowns and Ontario seemed to think they were the greatest thing since sliced bread argued for lockdowns. But really the dirty little secret there in part is that Florida 
have the capacity to care for people should they unfortunately need hospitalization with COVID. Ontario had no surge capacity to deal with this, and they were just freaking out about it all. I mean, it really just shows our healthcare system is so threadbare. We need innovation. Andrew, we have seen hospitals across Ontario and other parts of the country recently decide to close on evenings and weekends when they just can't manage their staffing resources. There's a term for that. That's called a systems failure. Yeah, and I would say, too, that this is not a creation of COVID, and anyone who says it is hasn't been paying attention to the last several years of healthcare policy in Ontario and elsewhere as well. I mean, when Doug Ford ran in 2018, there had been this surge in uh, emergency room patients lying in hallways and being treated in hallways, and this was uh, two years, uh, two and a half years before COVID came about. So this is an existing problem in the system, and because of this quagmire here where no one wants to or is prepared to deal with any private alternatives, there hasn't been any substantive or structural change. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.